Seven Figures Nation, welcome to another episode of the Seven Figures Club podcast where we give you the tools and tactics and strategies to join the Seven Figures Club of entrepreneurs who earn personal income of seven figures or more. And today's guest is someone who's going to be able to provide a lot of insight. We've got uh, Jared Spiewak, and Jared is an international speaker and founder helping service and SaaS businesses scale by turning clicks to cash. At just 14 years old, Jared took his first steps in the business world, earning money needed to attend college. After graduating, he spent a year working in corporate America, said, oh, that's not for me. And then two at the digital marketing agency before launching the first iteration of Comet Fuel, his company at just age 20. He was annoyed by these traditional agencies promising the moon, but only delivering stardust. Maybe some of you have had that experience. I know I have. And Jared saw a clear need for a digital agency that provided transparency and a results-oriented approach. For that reason, Comet Fuel offers each and every client a 200% money-back guarantee. How is that for a results-oriented? Very impressive like that. Uh, Comet Fuel has helped their clients turn $40 million in revenue into $250 million. One could say that things are going all right. And when he's not busy making his clients wildly successful, Jared has found cooking watching way too much YouTube because he's learning. He's not watching the wasteful kind, I'm sure. And he's working on creative efforts that will never see the light of day. Jared, welcome to the Seven Figures Club podcast. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Leo. Jared, audience always loves to learn a little bit more about the background of our guests. And I know a lot of people are excited about this episode. Uh, digital marketing is obviously changing. And we have a lot of service-based uh, entrepreneurs. We have uh, a lot of uh, startups and those who are trying to build a recurring revenue model as well. But just in terms of your background, explain and, and introduce to the audience a little bit more about maybe some of the key events that made you realize, you know what? entrepreneurship is the path for me, independence, and, and what were some of those key events that uh, that really impacted you and made you think twice about, for example, working at corporate America? Yeah, of course. So I'll give you the the fast version, happy to, to dive into any of the points, but uh, I think it really took me a while uh, before I really felt committed to fully go out on my own. The the first thing I ever did by myself, I was in fifth grade. I was able to watch uh, horror movies that my friends weren't allowed to watch. And I would write one page stories, stealing the plot of the horror movie, killing off all my friends. And then they would buy a copy of that story from me. So it'd be like, oh, like I just watched The Ring or The Cube or, you know, a lot of like 80, 90s yeah. horror movies and then yeah, just recreate it and, and then kill my friends off in horrible ways. And they wanted to see how. So that was my first kind of uh, doing something of my own. So I guess I kind of had something in me always. Wow. Then when I was in high school, I signed up for a site called Hire Writers. I was writing for about a penny a word, if that sometimes. And that introduced me to something called SEO content. Wasn't really familiar with what SEO was, but yeah, everyone wanted this content for some sort of SEO reason. Uh, couldn't really care less. They were paying me to put words on a page and they didn't really care how good those words were. So that was fine. 
uh, that kind of pushed me into the world of marketing. I didn't really know what I wanted to go to school for. I started college early. I decided to go for my marketing degree. That led me to working in corporate America in a real estate company for about a year. The uh, The corporate world just wasn't for me. It's very, uh, you know, you're playing politics. It's like, hey, it doesn't matter how long you've really been here for. You're, you, you know, if, if this takes you five years to get this position, whether you're really smart or really dumb, it's going to take you five years regardless. Um, and I just didn't feel like that was for me. So I started freelancing online, signed up for a site called Upwork.com, started working for $5 an hour just so I could get a bit of a portfolio so I could go work somewhere else. Nobody locally wanted to hire me. But then I got a full-time job offer from a digital marketing agency offering for me to work from home, making twice per hour what I was making at the corporate job. So I was out of the corporate job uh, two weeks later. Uh, from there, I worked as a uh, an on-page SEO initially, went up to the lead SEO strategist, started freelancing again on my own, built up my own uh, client portfolio. And I really didn't feel comfortable going out on my own until my, uh, I guess my uh, manager at the time was like, why are you still here? Like you're clearly doing really well with your own thing. And that was just kind of the push that I needed to kind of abandon that and go out on my own. So from there, started my own agency and uh, rebranded from Blue Dog Media to Common Fuel over uh, 2020 and then made it public in 2021. Jared, that's really, what a cool manager. What a what a guy who has like an abundant mindset, not a scarcity mindset and says, wow, Jared, you're you're on your way. You can go do this. Uh, you, what are you still working here for? You should be independent. That is really cool that uh, that manager had that abundant mindset and was able to kind of give you the confidence to just take that uh, move. So one of the things that uh, that I'm seeing as a pattern here is, and, and I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs do this, there's this cute idea sometimes online where, oh, just quit your job and go all in immediately. And I can see you didn't do that. I think it was super smart that you didn't do that. What were some of the considerations that you took into account that maybe entrepreneurs who are side hustling for a bit should before they, you know, cut off the job and go full time with the business? Yeah, I I think personally, I just uh, I was definitely suffering from imposter syndrome for a bit. I um, okay. and, and this is public, so I don't mind saying it. I was at about twenty thousand a month uh, in gross at the time, uh, just yeah. working for myself, and I still didn't feel comfortable at that point. And it was sure. only after that conversation I was just like, I'm making uh, so much more money on the side, but this who this could disappear. Like, who knows how long this is sustainable for? Like, what happens if I go out on my own and there are no more clients coming to me? What if the clients yeah. cancel? And so that fear just kind of prevented me from doing it. And it was honestly just kind of having that sit, sit down with my mantra at the time. Like like I said, she was just like, why are you here? <laughs> so um, that's really what gave me the push. And I think it's um, one, uh, if I had to kind of start all over, I would make sure that my living expenses were covered, plus a pretty good buffer on top of that before taking the risk, because uh, most people simply like don't make it. Like most people that I knew at the time that were getting started around the same time that I got started uh, are no longer in business or have started, you know, completely different businesses and completely different industries and kind of pivoted uh, one way or another. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, financial security number one, like it, it, it sucks to, uh, uh, to, to just the the stress and the the fear of like oh no like how am I going to pay rent this month like I, that I want to avoid that ideally <laughs> no and everybody does Jared and I just think that's smart and that you know any entrepreneur listing right now who's you know actively engaged in a side hustle and you know thinks that the the, the smart thing is just to immediately quit their job and and I, I don't think that's it I think you uh, are going to be way more successful if you can do exactly what you did where your income is now higher than your job income and put you in a place where you can feel confident 
and and you do it for a while where you have enough expertise, you, you build a, a list of client. And so that does require a lot of extra work and extra effort. It requires working some weekends. It requires working some evenings. And that's where the success, uh, you know, the su successful people move forward and, the, and those that aren't willing to do that don't. And those that quit the job early before they get to that point, oftentimes exactly struggle financially. How am I going to make rent? one setback and now they're in a, a world of hurt so i actually think that's the smarter less risky way to do it and entrepreneurs are are yes risk takers but they're calculated risk takers the successful ones so i actually think for everybody listening that's super important to be able to make those decisions in a smart way and side hustle it up and then the other cool thing is and i think this is super important too is a lot of people you know, are trying to create side hustles that are completely different from their core areas of expertise. And what you did that I think was really smart is you were already in that world doing digital marketing, doing SEO and, and online marketing in your regular day job. And then we're starting some side hustles in that field of, of expertise. So you were really all in in that space. And I think that's another really smart way to do it because this, it's about reps. The more reps you can take, in your field of expertise and eventually create a business around that is what it takes uh, to be successful. So awesome, awesome story there. Now, one of the things that you talk about uh, a lot, and I think, I think for especially entrepreneurs that are launching marketing campaigns, they get very caught up in ROI as a, as a key performance indicator. And at the beginning of marketing strategy, and I'll tell you a little bit about my own experience after you answer this question, but why is that a mistake to focus so much on ROI as a KPI at the very beginning of marketing as a business growth uh, strategy? Yeah, because ROI is a relative metric. It's a percentage. It's a multiplier. It is not a gross volume. It is not cash. What I mean by that is you can spend a dollar, make $10. That's great. That's a super high return. You have nine bucks. Congrats. Uh, you can spend a hundred grand. Obviously, you have to have the hundred grand to spend it, but you can spend a hundred grand, make 300 grand. That's not a very high return comparatively, but you have 200 grand. There's a lot more you can do with 200 grand in your pocket than there is with $9 in your pocket. So what I often uh, recommend is, yes, we all want ROI. We all want to make a, a, a high return. That's great. But to not forget volume in that equation is to say, you know, do I need to maximize how, how far I need to stretch this dollar today? Or is it better for me to uh, have a lower relative return, but have a higher overall output of cash? Absolutely. No, it's definitely, definitely the cash is just as important as anything. The other thing that I've found over the years and and in doing uh, campaigns, whether it was YouTube, whether it was Google search, whether it was Facebook and Instagram, and I've done uh, challenges and I've done high ticket offers and I'll be, you know, we're a business uh, finance marketplace for small business owners. But to me, there's, there's a certain, there's a baptism by fire that happens with every campaign where the first few thousand dollars, it's learning the pixel. Unless you step right into somebody running a marketing campaign that they've already done it for your product, your space, your industry, and they've really got a dialed in uh, situation there. But most of the time, there's a learning aspect to the marketing, to the funnel, making some tweaks. And really, the first few thousand dollars is you're going to kind of have to light that on fire. But if you get through that and you stick with it, all of a sudden you get into five, 10, 15, 20,000 in spend. You start to turn that around and get very profitable as long as you're working with an expert like yourself. And that's, that's where you win. But I think 
80% of entrepreneurs, especially those that are maybe side hustling, they give up very quickly because, oh, I spent $1,000 and you know I break even or I'm slightly negative on my ROI and I haven't got my money back. But if they would have stayed the course, they would have gotten through that and eventually come out very profitable. So how, how much do you find that that's kind of a, a theme of starting marketing campaigns that people give up too soon? I would say for- Or maybe you disagree. For, and if you do, that's cool. You should- No, I, I do agree. I think that a lot of a lot of small businesses that are coming in, one, don't realize that there is a, a ramp up period. The expectation is like, yes. hey, I'm going to turn it on and it either works or it doesn't. And like- yeah. Sure. Like I'm, I'm a big lover in um, Bayesian statistics, which is that there, you don't need a sample size. You can end that test whenever, and just your prior belief changes. I'm not going to go into the statistics. I'm not a statistician, so I can't really talk about it too intelligently. But if you want to run $300 and spend, if it doesn't make you a ton of money, you want to end that campaign. Sure. Uh, but your your chance of being successful there, the 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 confidence that you're going to be successful in that test is going to be very low. So. What depending on your budget, depending on how long you run that test, I tend to tell people that phase one is finding a path to profitability. It's not breaking even. It's not being profitable. It's finding a path to profitability. For most people, depending on your budget, depending on your industry, uh, so on and so forth, this will take anywhere from like two weeks to three months. The, the lower yes. your budget, the yes. you know the more niche you know. If you're a first to market, you're gonna have you know kind of more problems to kind of solve compared to if you're uh, one of like 600 local lawyers. You know you know that that channel is gonna work. Uh, you just need to figure out how. So the first step is path to profitability. If I shoot an arrow, I don't need to hit the target. I just need to be within a relative range of that target to say, hey, with more practice, I can probably hit it. If I'm shooting that arrow and it's going you know you know behind me and across the street. I'm probably going to end that test pretty quickly and I'm going to choose like a different channel. So step one, finding a path to profitability. After that, step two is finding the road. I call it the road to break even. Uh, that can take anywhere from like one to six months typically. And that's just, hey, can we can we get close to that target? Can we at least break even? It doesn't matter if you want to triple your spend if you can't even break even. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's got to be a path to profitability. No question about it. And again, in, in the marketing campaigns I've run over the years and you know, over a million dollars in, in spend just on my personal businesses. That's always been the case where there's a baptism by fire. And, and usually a month two, I start to turn a profitable profit or maybe six weeks after starting it. And there's some tweaks that you make to your, your marketing, your landing page, your sales funnel, your videos, whatever. And sometimes it's just dialing in a pixel if it's Facebook. And certainly if, you, if you're doing SEO, like you understand, it's a long play. But if you have a long-term play and you're working with an expert, I feel like your odds for success are pretty good. The one exception I've had to that is I recently uh, invested and started another business with a doctor who's in the chiropractic and uh, wellness space. And there was a marketing gentleman who already had proven results in different cities that he was doing marketing for other doctors offering the same services. And so we were able to kind of step into that and really from day one generate successful leads that were super cost effective and profitable but that is that is you know that's probably more the exception to the rule i find how important is it for marketing campaigns to be looking at what the competition is doing and those who are doing it well versus those who are not and modeling some of those factors of people that are doing it well and succeeding versus just trying to you know recreate and and just come up with something completely original yeah. So for me being more marketing aware, I tend not to pay a 
that much attention to competitors, to be honest. Uh, the reason being is I've been in, I've talked to so many businesses, I've been inside of so many different ad accounts that you can't assume that just because someone's running it and it's been running, running for a long time that it's actually working. The amount of times I've gone to an ad account and been like, hey, you've spent a million dollars in the past 12 months, you've made 500,000 in revenue. And the owner's like, oh, I had no idea. Like we just didn't, weren't paying that much attention because the overall business was doing well enough that Wow. For whatever reason, they just missed it or just or, you know, I, you know, I'll save my comments for another time. But um, you, the amount of times I go in, it's like, hey, this isn't working as well as you thought. Or I talk to someone, they're like, oh, all of our leads come in from Google ads. And then I look at it, I'm like, none of the clicks are relevant. Like, let's turn this off. And then, whoa, the leads haven't changed at all. So I try not to assume that just because somebody's doing something and they're spending a lot of money on it and they've been doing it for a long time, that A, it's working or that two, they're measuring it. In, it in the right way to know that it's actually working. You don't know what's inside their account. You don't, you, you're not in the meetings to see how performance is being measured. You don't know if they're like, hey, we have a ton of cash and we're just going to blow cash while we try to figure out how this platform works because we can afford to do so. And we're losing a ton of money every single month. We've worked on campaigns where it's like, hey, we've been advertising for five years, never turned a profit. We just want market share. We'll worry about profit in three years because we're a large company and we can afford it. Which is crazy. So how do you effectively track that and know that you're being profitable? Because obviously that's that's a challenge for a lot of businesses. Yeah. So I tend to find that the vast majority of lead gen companies have no idea exactly where their leads are coming from. They might know yeah. source, but are they? do they know the exact keyword ad group campaign that drove that particular lead? Uh, do they know their uh, close rate and the profitability of each ad group campaign keyword, so on and so forth? And... Uh, to do that, you know, Google and most ad platforms send you a bunch of tracking data. You can capture that tracking data with a CRM, assuming that you're using a CRM. And then from there, the CRM should be the source of truth for your actual marketing campaigns. But what I recommend for everybody and what I very rarely see people do is closing that gap between the lead and the sales data because you can very easily end up in a situation where one campaign drove 10 leads and two sales, another campaign drove five leads and four sales. But if you're only looking at leads, you're going to spend more and more money on what's generating a lot of leads and not a lot of sales and then wondering why why are our conversions keep raising, uh, why but our sales aren't. Why is it that when we have really good months based off of the performance of the ad account, the businesses you know, noticing no change or negative. Why is it that when the ad account is coming to me and being like, ooh, things are down 30%, but it's our best month. It's our most profitable month. So then what happens is the shareholders, the executive team, what have you, stops putting value on the reports and it becomes unpredictable. It becomes unscalable because it's like, hey, it's, it's like a scatter plot. You know, when the account's doing well, the business isn't necessarily. When the account's doing poorly, the business is somehow because there's this disconnect between the actual lead data and the actual sales data. So you have to be following it through from the click all the way to ideally cash being in the bank. Mm, that is such a huge value bomb that, uh, that Jared just dropped with everybody. So to kind of unpack that, essentially what he's saying is oh, I've got this campaign going and we're getting high conversions on leads. Leads are coming in. Our cost per lead is super affordable. So this is awesome. We just need to scale that campaign. And then if you actually track that campaign from beginning to actual dollars being paid and products and services being rendered and actual cash coming in the door, actually the conversion is very low. Those clients are not very profitable. In fact, you're actually losing money versus, hey, over here's another campaign. The leads are a lot more expensive, less people are converting, but that's where the people are actually moving forward, becoming paying clients for the product and service, and we're actually profitable on that campaign. And that that's a, a really good point that, that's a, definitely a common mistake with marketing ROI. Now, one of the things you talk about is this is the launch concept. Uh, 
and how it can help a business scale quickly without constantly grinding. Unpack this launch concept. How does this work? Yeah. So what was interesting for us, and um, this was from, it was a, I can't remember where it was, but uh, this gentleman called uh, Michael Seibel, he's a managing partner over at Y Combinator, one of the original founders of Twitch. Wow. Uh, he was giving this um, talk about uh, kind of some of the business intelligence metrics that they were using at Twitch. I think there were uh, four original founders, three or four. Yeah. And uh, one of the challenges is that if you go up to someone, you say, I want more revenue. Nobody can help you do that. That's not possible. Like that's not actionable. That's that that's a hope and a dream. That's like, I want to I want to play professional football. OK, not happening. Like I'm not working towards that. Like that's not actionable. But if you break that down and go, what are all the metrics that make up our revenue? What are all the metrics that make up those metrics? And ideally, you go as deep down as you can. You find the path of least resistance to solving a problem. And you might be able to hit your quarterly goals, at least when we implement this, we started to do this, hit our quarterly goals within like two, three weeks. Because the the problem wasn't, hey, we need to increase our show up rates for for our discovery calls. It's, hey, if we actually break that down by channel, it looks like our outbound leads show up at a fraction of the rate as our inbound leads. So I need to focus on what can improve our outbound show up rates. I don't care about everything else. I'm going to just really narrow down and really hyper focus on the most, uh, on the path of least resistance. And so instead of focusing on top level metrics, I'm going to get to the most nuanced uh, bit I can and say, hey, if I just improve this from 15% to 25%, that makes up that entire gap where if I just say, hey, let's just try things that will improve our show up rates, I don't have show up rate problems with you know the vast majority of our leads. So most of what I'm going to do isn't going to affect that metric that much and it's going to take forever. But if I can get really hyper specific as to exactly why our show up rates aren't good enough, filter down, why are the people that are coming in from uh, outbound not showing up as much? You know, let's implement some things that can suddenly surge that from a 15% show up rate to a 25 or a 45% to get in line with our 60, 70% average. Great. You know, that took uh, a week of time of the team instead of everybody throwing ideas into into a pot and then working on that for the next three months. Exactly right. And so with the digital marketing landscape uh, right now, as we go into 2024, and obviously this is always changing, it certainly depends on, on the business uh, space that you're in, but where are you seeing opportunities uh, on the platforms, right? Is you've got Google search, you've got YouTube owned by Google, you've got Facebook, you've got Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter X, whatever. So what, where are the, where are advantages and does it de really depend on the business or are there evergreen principles that really could go into any of these spaces and you could do well in either. You just have to understand marketing principles. What, what are your thoughts on, you know, different platforms being a better opportunity or dependent on your business, et cetera? Yeah. So depending on the business, different uh, different platforms will have different pros and cons. You know, if you're okay. uh, if you're not a B two B business, you know, you probably don't have much reason to be on LinkedIn um, unless you're yep. somewhere in the like the recruiting space, perhaps. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. So different platforms work better or, or worse for different people. And you know what I mentioned earlier with like the path of profitability, uh, that's when I might choose four or five different channels, try them all at once, and then just very oh, quickly wow. narrow down on what's doing the best so far, and then focus there. Um, in terms of specifics, though, what I tend to find is that most of the problems, uh, most of the problems that we run into are solved outside of the ad account because most people focus on, hey, how can I get the cost per click as low as possible? How can I get the conversion rate as high as possible? And then when we actually follow that, it's, well, when people click on your ad and they go to your landing page, they go to your website, 
you look like all your competition. You sound like all your competition. The imagery, the the tone of voice, the uh, you know, the call to action button says the same thing. The offer is the same. And usually the the reason being is, you know, what we talked about earlier is looking at competitors. It's, oh, that's what they're doing. I'm going to do the same thing because it's probably working. And that might be true. But now, because everybody looks the same, the consumer has no reason to choose you. And the actual nuances that you understand about your business that give somebody a reason, they don't understand unless they're unless you're in a unless you uh, specifically work with people who are like uh, highly knowledgeable about that topic. You know, you sell like really specialized microphones or something. And you're only working with like audio files, and sure, maybe they understand the product nuances. But if you're you know you're a you know you're a law firm, the average person isn't going to understand the differences between you and other law firms. So what do they do? They choose which firm has the most attorneys, which firm has the most office locations, which firm has the most reviews or the highest review rating. All stuff that we know really doesn't matter that much. You know, you could be a a, a really uh, bad firm that has a ton of reviews, that has tons of good reviews. Maybe they're bought. Maybe they're you know who knows. Uh, and so what happens is you don't have that. It's not that interesting to that person. They're going to choose some reason to go with whoever they go with. Uh, that uh, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot because they're not educated enough to choose that. So what we tend to find is when we take a step back and look at things like what is the offer that we're actually putting in front of somebody. If we can design a better offer, something that's more interesting, uh, something that it's like, oh, none of your competitors offer a, a guarantee. How can we, uh, you know, can we get approval from you to find a way to offer some sort of guarantee? Uh, one of our clients, uh, and we didn't come up with this, they came up with this themselves. They came up to us and they're like, hey, uh, for this campaign, we're willing to guarantee a 2x ROI. None of their competitors offer any sort of guarantee. And these guys are saying, hey, if you work with us, we'll guarantee to double your money or we'll pay you back. So putting that out in front of somebody, hey, I don't, I'm a lot less interested in like your your process or exactly how many reviews you have or you know exactly how big your team is. You you have a very compelling offer, so I'm more motivated to at least want to have a conversation with you to see how are you able to offer this, how are you so good, or how are you this unique? And it's going to make me take a second and take a step back because what I'm looking at is so different. I'm going to need to spend a couple extra seconds to process this compared to seeing a site that looks the same as the other four sites that I was just on. Really good stuff uh, to understand. And so really, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily tweaking the ad account and this, that and the other. It's understanding, well, what sets you apart from the competition, right? What what gets someone's attention? And there's a really awesome book about this called uh, Blue Ocean Strategy that talks about, hey, you know, the competition, they all have very similar offers. They're commodities. It's a race to the bottom. Everything's very similar. And the only thing they can do is just lower the price. And it's just race to the bottom. It's bloody waters. But if you have a blue ocean strategy where there's no sharks, there's no one doing what you're doing, then you actually can charge more. You're more profitable, which makes it easier to make a return on your marketing and ad spend because you have a guarantee or you have some value add in your offer that separates you so much from the competition that the client or customer is like, wow, that, that's amazing. I've never heard of anybody doing that. I'm going to go that way. And so that's that's what people should be looking at then, entrepreneurs, is the offer. How can you make your offer sexier, different, unique, and take it out of a commodity play where it's commoditized and so much just like the competition, but it's unique and just an amazing value bomb, I think, that you just dropped there. So how can businesses balance aggressive scaling and profitability? Because everybody wants to scale, but if you scale the top line and not the bottom line, then you're not really winning. So what is your what is your strategy or perspective on that, Jared? Yeah. So I think first and foremost is you have to have 
clear goals. And as as kind of um, generic as that sounds, um, the the challenge is that if uh, oftentimes we'll talk to people and it's like, hey, our goal is to make more money. Congratulations. Like, I can't help you do that. That's like, here's a dollar. You've made more money. Like, we've all hit our goal. But first, it needs to be very specific. Like, is our goal to maintain at least a, a 2x ROAS? Okay, great. If that's our goal, then if we're aggressively scaling the volume side, we know what our baseline is. Now, what we don't want to do is say, hey, we want to aggressively grow ROAS and we want to uh, aggressively grow volume at the same time. You're you're pulling on two different ends of the string. On one end, you're trying to increase your spend. You're trying to increase the complexity of your ad account. You're trying to segment and target different cohorts. On the other side, you're trying to maintain or decrease spend. You're trying to uh, minimize the complexity of the account and really narrow down and focus on what's most profitable. So what I generally recommend, recommend is either the goal is higher ROAS or the goal is higher volume. If the goal is higher volume, there's going to be a baseline row as and focus on one at a time. Once you hit that goal, then switch and go, okay, great. Our goal was to double our growth. We hit that goal. Now, are we still happy with our profitability enough to then continue to grow uh, volume? Or do we need to take a step back and say, ooh, uh, margins are getting a bit thin here. We're a bit worried. Let's maintain this. And then for the next three, four, five, six months, focus on growing the row as up again. Amazing. So up to this point, Jared, I think the audience is saying, okay, cool. I've, I've learned a lot about I've got to improve my offer. I've got to look at ROI differently. It's not cost per lead. It's actual cost per converted uh, you know, lead becoming a paying cu customer or client, understanding that. But at the end of the day, it's also about the who, not the how, right? Who can help me do this? Who's already an expert and has figured it out so I don't have to try and figure it out and waste my time and money doing it. And so if the audience who wants to be able to look at taking that next step, learning about how they can maybe work with you and your firm to help them take their marketing ad spend and ROI dollars to the next level, what's the next step for them to take today? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to get in touch, you can go to uh, cometfuel.com and you can uh, schedule a call with me. Happy to uh, to have a chat, show you what's going well, show you what's uh, not going well, and at the very worst, give you a couple ideas for improvement. What a great website URL, cometfuel.com. As you know, everybody listening, Seven Figures Nation, this is not a passive podcast. This is a podcast for action takers, those who want to join the Seven Figures Club. And to do that, marketing and ad spend is constantly changing. You need an expert, an advocate on your side who understands this. And clearly, Jared has shown uh, an ability to generate hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue from the ad spend, actual profitable dollars. So cometfuel.com is the place to go. There's some uh, case studies, results, information, tools, tactics, strategies to help you make your marketing profitable going into 2024. Jared, really appreciate you being a guest on the show. But I do want to give you the final word. What's your final word of action that people should think about with their marketing going into 2024? Test, try stuff like that. That's about it. Like most marketing campaigns fail. They're only successful because you said, hey, this is this is doing OK. Now let's try something else and see if it does better. If so, we're going to do that instead. If not, we're going to just try more things. That's the entire process. Amen, everybody. Iterate, test, learn, pivot. That is the path to profitability. And we'll see you next time on the Seven Figures Club podcast. 
Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.